How are you guys? Good, a little bit of a ring. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you, we praise you, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Father, for the precious gift of your Son. We thank you for the very mystery that is being unveiled even now, which is the mystery of that love mystery of your bride. Father, I pray for this morning. I will stand in agreement with Josh's prayer and reiterate that I ask that only your words come through my mouth, that it is none of my own. My heart's desire is not to speak anything except that which you have told me to speak. I trust you in that. We all trust you in that. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit because it is with that gift that our spirits understand your voice. That those listening do not have to trust in my voice. Because the Spirit in them, if it is the Holy Spirit, will agree with itself. Lord, we love you. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as a parent, and I know... In the audience in here, there, <laughs> the majority are not are not parents yet. But as a parent, one of the things you grow with, you I was going to say struggle with, but it's not really a struggle. It is a learning process in how we teach children. Right, And one of the things that you learn, because God is the perfect teacher, you learn how to teach them by allowing certain things in their lives. Right? I'll never forget when my dad is teaching me to drive. I mean, forget the fact that uh, I'll tell on my grandmother here for a second, who is with the Lord, so... She can't get in trouble anymore. But I want to say I was 9 or 10 or 11 or something like that when she first taught me how to drive. Unbeknownst to my parents. And, and it was surely because I kept begging her. And, and sure enough, she allowed me to drive in Southern California. <laughs> of course, there they probably wouldn't notice anyways. But when my dad taught me how to drive. I remember my first car. My first car was a 75 CJ5 Jeep, probably the coolest car ever made, period. Hear that, period. By the way, they're really hard to get now. I mean, in good shape, anyways. So I had this Jeep. We're living in Colorado. I had worked incessantly long hours all summer for about five months, selling ice cream of all things. 
in front of there in Space Museum, 12-hour days, six days a week, to save up enough money to buy my first car. And I did. I bought this Jeep. It was yellow. Some people called it pea yellow. I say it was really cool yellow. But it was this Jeep. had the big tires, had the straight six, the best four-wheeling vehicle at the time, bar none. And so now I have this phenomenal vehicle, and I'm 15 and a half, not yet 16, and my dad takes me out to drive. At 16 in Colorado, you could get your, your full license, but at 15 and a half, you get your permit. So he says, you need to learn how to handle this vehicle, because this is not a normal vehicle. So he takes me out to the foothills, and he takes me to this place out by where he used to work that was in the boonies, but it was the, road, the dirt roads there were not just dirt roads, they were sand, kind of like on sand dunes almost. It was really weird. But, you're, I mean, we're talking in the basin of a hill, you'd have four or five inches of sand. And he said, okay, here, drive. And he, I noticed he had his left foot ready just in case I got out of control, which was a good thing. He was wise because I'm going, I'm thinking, oh, I got this. I've driven this thing before. It's a three-speed, and, and, you know, I'm not in four-wheel drive or anything because we're on a dirt road, and, it, you know, I'm fine. I get going a little fast, and he said, you may want to slow down. I said, okay, but I'm good. I didn't slow down. All right, clearly his direction was not penetrating my mind. And so then I crest this hill and I start to come down. And you know when you're in a vehicle and you're already going fast, when you go downhill, you're going to go faster. So I start to go faster. I hit the bottom of this hill and we hit five or six inches of sand and I start to fishtail. Okay, and we're probably going 50 miles an hour. I'm sure, I'm sure my dad's heart started to beat <laughs> a little fast. Now... A Jeep is also made for this sort of thing. It had a roll bar. If we had a problem, we would not hopefully die. Right? But I start to fishtail. And I was okay at this point. A little anxious for me, but I was, I was okay. I knew that if you start to fishtail, you turn into the turn. So if I'm fishtailing to the right, I turn to the right. Right? So I could straighten it out. What I didn't know, because I was a novice driver, is that you shouldn't turn into the turn too much. <laughs> because if you turn into too much, then you fishtail the other way, and the momentum is even greater. So then, to compensate for that, I yank it to the left. And I'm going around, I, I'm starting to do this, and I could just feel the anxiety of my father. <laughs> Because clearly I was not getting it. He reached over and he just slammed on the brake. He reached over with his, his left foot, just slammed on the brake. And we go, came to a stop. And I'm shaking worse than I do now. I'm like, what did I do wrong? He said, it's what I said at the beginning. You were driving too fast. 
You didn't know what was coming. And you, you didn't listen to my instructions. See, I drive these, these roads every day. I know what you were going to hit. That's why I instructed you. And I said, well, why didn't you tell me what I was going to hit? He said, because you need to listen to the instruction. Isn't that how God is? Isn't that how God is? He gives us instruction. He wants us to listen, be obedient, and step in that instruction without knowing the details. Why? I mean, wouldn't it be just as easy for God to say, well, look, when you crest this hill and you go to the bottom, you're going to hit six inches of sand. And so before you get there, you need to be careful. You need to slow down. Couldn't my dad have done that? Sure. Couldn't God do that when He leads us into areas that we have to learn a lesson? Sure. But it doesn't produce the very thing that lasts, which is faith. When He tells us not to step in a certain direction or to step in a certain direction and stay straight on the path, He doesn't tell us why. He doesn't tell us what's to the right or to the left. He just says, don't turn to the right and don't turn to the left. Stay straight. Because He wants our faith, our faith to grow. He wants our faith in Him to be fully trusting in His warnings, in His plan. And, it's, and by the way, it's not always about warnings of danger. Yes, it is that. But it's also instruction in His will. How many times are we in an in a area at a gas station or at Walmart or whatever and the Lord says to go pray over this person or even to go into this area and pray? Sometimes He wants us to just simply go to an area and stand there. What kind of sense does that make? except that what you may be emoting because of your faith in the Spirit is the very thing that the enemy is afraid of. See, all these things are coming to fruition right now. Right now in the bride. We find ourselves at the most incredible, amazing time in human history. This is the reading of the bride. We've been talking about that. What does that begin with? It begins with instruction. It begins with the Lord saying, do this or do that, without telling us why. See, He allows certain things so we can learn what we need to learn, just like my dad did. My dad, he, he didn't have to allow me to drive on that road at all. He could have just had me go through driver's training and assume I'd be okay. <laughs> but he knew what I would want to do with the Jeep. And especially living in Colorado, that temptation is just way too great. So he knew that I would need further instruction. He knew that sand was coming at the bottom of the hill. 
He knew what was going to happen when I hit the sand doing 50 miles an hour. He knew what was going to happen. He could have stopped me, but he didn't. He allowed it to happen for a reason. And I'll tell you the reason. Because every time in the future when I found myself in that situation, I heard my dad's instruction on how to deal with it. First, how to deal with it beforehand. When I'm driving down the road 65 miles an hour in six inches of snow, probably not the smartest thing to do. Then you just hear dad in the background saying, slow it down. And I knew from experience, okay, I need to listen to that voice. Isn't that what the Father does? He takes us through a situation. Those situations can be tough. They can hurt. They can be painful. Because of what we see with us and also what we see with others. But the purpose is not to hurt us. The purpose is to ready us. To make, make us understand that we are not walking this by ourselves. And right now, that's the biggest thing that He is trying to teach the bride. For years, He has been teaching us our power in Him, our authority in Him, right? Now, He wants, us, he wants to teach us what that power and what that authority looks like in unity. So how does he teach? He opens the floodgates just a little bit more. He allows just a little bit more from the enemy. For the purpose of us being able to trust him to walk through it. Don't assume for a second, you know everything going on. You see everything going on, and, and I'm talking politically at this point, where everything's opposite of what he said. Whew. If you think that's the real war, you got another thing coming. The real war is not political. The politics of it is just the aftermath of the real war. The real war has not even yet been unleashed but it's going to be. And what I mean by that is the real war against you, against me, against a bride that is supposed to be ready, a bride that is supposed to be unified. This is the time of the lukewarm being spit out. Yesterday in the gifts meeting, the Father spoke and He gave a word. I'm going to read it to you now. Because there's one phrase in there that I want you to pay special attention to. The Father said, I am the Lord your God. Jesus is my Son. I gave Him to pay for your sin on the cross. He conquered death and rose again and lives forever at my right hand. I came today to release my heart and my will and to tell you I am with you. I am teaching you many new things. 
Listen. 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 Listen and pay attention. For I will release my weapons of my warfare to defeat the enemy in this new time of battle. It will look different, and it will also look the same. But it will be very different. For all of hell is about to be released against you. But this will refine you. This will purify you. This purification, persecution, will show who is my true remnant, my true bride, my true love. It will ready you for my Son to come back and bring you unto myself. I must do this. I must do this. I must do this because I love you. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. For as I have said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You have all that you need. You have all that you need in my strength. By my Spirit, as you seek my face. You will walk in new power. Power I will unleash against hell's kingdom. And nothing shall be able to stand against it. I will do this. I will do this. I, the Lord, have spoken. You see, when he calls the bride to be ready, there has to come a moment where that readiness is tested. Where that testing becomes cemented in who we are. Because you can intellectually learn something all you want and have the knowledge of something all you want. But until you are placed in that situation, you will never know how you will react. That's why God does it. Don't think for a second that God is not in control of what's going on. I hear preachers say that Satan is at work. You know, Satan is doing this, Satan is doing that. seemingly out of the control of God, almost like He has some new power that He can manipulate how He wants, literally going against God's anointed people. It's not that at all. God is in control. How do you control a dam? A river that's been dammed up when there's huge rain, you have to open the floodgates a little bit. 
you open the floodgates to manage the level of that dam. How do we learn how to be warriors? How do we learn how to be unified? How do we learn that our survival is dependent not only on ourselves, but on each other? And our unification with each other. How do we do that? By God opening the floodgates a little bit. By us realizing that battlefield, not just learning about it. Now we here at Ignition, we've got a lot of experience with battle. And different portions of the bride have a lot of experience with battle. But He wants to take us to a new level. He wants to take us to a level of faith that unites us together. Not just unites us here as Ignition, but unites us globally as the bride. And He's going to do that. He is doing that. You can imagine how separated the bride is right now and on this idea of of this global thing, how in the world could He do that? Well, this is what He means when He says you're about to see His hand. You're about to see His hand move. Not only in what He allows the enemy to do, but in what He teaches in our reaction. What He teaches us to do. Because see, you cannot learn how to rule if you don't know how to fight. What was David's first test? You might think it was Goliath, but it wasn't. It was the lion and the bear. I'm not sure... I would almost think I'd rather fight Goliath than a lion. I I don't know. I mean, think about that. You know, a nine foot, whatever it was, nine foot two or whatever Goliath was, he can't be that quick. You know, but a lion is pretty quick. A lion's got five weapons. Yeah, he's got teeth and he's got four paws. I'm thinking I would rather go up against Goliath. So see, David was tested early on. The same with a bear. You know, they say some of the some of the harshest maulings come from bears, big bears. They have, they have bears up in Colorado. We used to have to kind of be aware of those when we'd go camping up in the mountains. Used to always carry a sidearm. I remember my dad my dad, I I got this from my dad, but he has this big old Clint Eastwood six-shooter. Ruger 44 Magnum. I remember first time I shot this thing, about knocked me on my rear end. He got that literally to carry when he was up in the mountains because of bears and whatever. So it's no wonder when David finally got to Goliath, it's like, heck, I've dealt with this before. This isn't a big deal. Let me grab a few stones. That's nothing. You should have seen this lion. If you want to check it out, it's the rug right inside the house. So you can imagine how he was tested. How he was trained. 
only to find out Goliath also was a training. You know, then it became running for his life. And yet, not running out of fear, but running out of honor for God's anointed Saul. What an insane thought. Now all of a sudden, David had to temper his strength. God was teaching him how to do that. God was teaching him through relationship with him where to step. After he had let the floodgates go proportionally with David, he no longer had to teach David how to fight. David knew how to fight. There's always something God is going to teach us. Here at Ignition, He's taught us how to fight. There's a big difference between knowing how to fight and fighting together in unity. Big difference. Big difference. And, and I don't just mean a big difference on our end. I'm talking about a big difference in how it looks to the enemy. You know, that's kind of like showing up, you, you know, you're showing up by yourself, you're showing up with a machine gun to a war versus in unity you're showing up with a tank. That, that's how the enemy views it. And it's all a matter of our purity before him and our faith with him. I want you to turn turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, I want to read verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now the first thing I notice here is understanding what the Gospel is. And I think in many ways the the church really misses this. If you ask just about any pastor I would know, any theologian, well, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is recognizing who Jesus is. The fact that he, as God, came down, became man in the flesh, lived a perfect life, gave that life on the cross, gave his life and died on the cross, spent three days in the grave, setting the captives free. Then rose again by the power of the Holy Spirit, seen by many on the earth. And then ultimately was risen up to be with God in heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father. That's what they would say is the Gospel, and they're correct. But if that's all you get out of it, It's enough for salvation. It's enough for your golden ticket. It's enough to get to heaven and to avoid hell. But it is not enough 
to have relationship with Him. It's not. See, the Gospel that it's talking about here goes so much further than that golden ticket. In that golden ticket, it has nothing to do with you except your acceptance. You didn't do anything to earn it. All you did was receive it by asking Jesus into your heart and believing who He is. You received it. It was 100% grace. But see, relationship is not 100% to zero. Relationship is equal on both ends. Or certainly the intent of that equality. We are to reach out to Him. We are to take a step toward Him. Then He steps toward us. And you guys all know this. That's what relationship is in Jesus Christ. But see, even that isn't just the Gospel. Because the Gospel is to include the unity with others. Jesus answered this question of what's the most important commandment. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, your mind. Love Him with everything that you've got. And then love each other as you love yourself. He could have left that last part off. But He knew that unity together in Him was part of His Gospel. And that's what it says right here because it says, for in it, verse 17. For in it. For in what? For in the Gospel. Which is what He said in verse 16. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. What does that mean? It is literally revealed from faith. You have to have faith to have it revealed to you, the righteousness of God. This is not just justification. This is not just accepting His free gift of eternal life. This is recognizing the righteousness of God. It's like Matthew 6.33 of seeking His kingdom. You cannot seek His kingdom without understanding His righteousness. Without understanding His purity. And it goes far beyond simply accepting Him into your heart. But it says, from faith, so we recognize His righteousness from faith. It's by our faith that we recognize it. But see, Paul didn't stop there. He said, from faith, for faith. And what he's saying there is he is saying, by the faith that you see and recognize the righteousness of Christ, it literally is a building block to receive more faith. So you're learning from faith to gain more faith. Why? Hebrews 11.6, it's because faith is what pleases Him. That's why he, he doesn't just tell you what to do. But He opens the floodgates a little bit and lets the enemy come against you to test what you have been told. 
to see if you are going to handle what you have been taught. That's the only thing that brings unification. The only thing. Because it's in that that we realize we need each other. And I'll tell you what, isn't that so much of the bride? All I need is God. All I need is God. If me and God are tight, all I need is Him and I'm good. Guess what? If you and God are really tight, you'd realize how false that was. Because it is in the unity that that spirit of faith is built. Never more so than today. The phrase that I wanted you to pay attention to the word that he gave yesterday was this one. For all of hell is about to be released against you. Has that ever happened before? Yeah. Because see, that's what he told Jesus when he was praying in the garden. Jesus knew that all of hell was going to come against him. He knew that his Father's will was for him to give his life. He was obedient in that. See, that moment purchased the ability for our unity. Do you understand that? It purchased the opportunity for our unity because it wasn't there before that. When Jesus said, after he rose from the grave, he said, you want me to go. I'm about to go back to my father. You want me to go because when I go, he's going to send the comforter. He's going to send the Holy Spirit that literally levels the playing field for each Christian because each Christian has access to the Holy Spirit. Not just the Holy Spirit's seal. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Where He guarantees eternal life. And nobody can take it from you. You can't even give it away when you're saved. But it's so much more than that. See, God, or Jesus dying on the cross, raising from the dead, going up to heaven, facilitated the Father sending the Holy Spirit, but we each have access to Him in great measure, in far greater measure than we can imagine. So how do we learn the measure in which we have access? Open the floodgate. Put them in a situation where they have to rely on me. Because the consequences of not are everything. That's where we're at. That's where we're at because it is time for the bride to be united. What is about to come to the bride is death. It is the spitting out of the lukewarm. And there are 
three types. You know what, I, I was, I don't know if I even have this note. I was writing it down a couple days ago because the Lord gave it to me. And I didn't even fully understand the thought. But he was telling me, yeah, I do have it. He was telling me the bride is broken down into three types. Those who see the effects of warfare, but refuse to apply it to something God is doing. Now, now, by the way, this is the bride. These are people that have accepted Jesus Christ into their heart. Those who see the effects of the warfare, those who see what's going on, those who are even getting hit themselves, but refuse to apply it to something God is doing. Well, God would never do that. God is good. Was it good for me to learn how to deal with driving into sand at 50 miles an hour? Yeah, it was good. Was it a little hairy how I learned that lesson? Yeah, it was. But I can tell you, it got me out of all kinds of trouble later on. Perhaps because of my stupidity. <laughs> but it was a lesson that has taught me, or it gotten me through in those situations all my life. So why do we think that God would not teach us in ways that are going to be lasting lessons? Let me tell you something. An intellectual lesson will never be a lasting lesson. If there isn't application, if there isn't something in your life that you deal with where you actually use what you're learning, it's not going to do you any good. I know this by experience. See, I got a business degree in college. Which is great if you're going to go work for a, an accounting firm or a company that has these set rules and everything else. But no, I wanted to be in business for myself. I was an entrepreneur. I learned very quickly that what you learn on the street, quote-unquote, is very different than what you learn in college. At the university, it's very different than the intellectual idea of how you handle a situation. Same thing with God. Same with, thing with God. If your Christianity is only in what you know about the Bible, what you know about Him, what you know intellectually, and you never apply that in the times that He opens the floodgate in your life, then it will never find good soil. That seed can't grow. And there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of people in the, in the bride that are going to be caught off guard here. Because see, we're going to, we're going to learn it's not them losing their salvation their justification had nothing to do with them. So they keep that intact. But we're going to see who has relationship with the Lord and who doesn't. And I'm so thankful that it's not up to our judgment. 
See, God said man looks on the outside, but he looks at the heart. He knows hearts that are going to have faith for faith, understanding his righteousness. He knows from the heart who is going to move forward, who is going to unify, knowing that that literally is the only way to save your life. You understand what I'm saying? The stakes are high. The stakes are high in what's coming. I I was talking to the Lord last couple days, and and I, I just felt so much like Noah, except that I've only been saying it a couple of years, and he said it for 120 years. He kept giving warning after warning after warning. Knowing that that's what God told him to do. Until one day it hit. Warnings didn't matter anymore because now they had to deal with it. Now they had to react. That door then became closed. We are at that point right now. God has been warning. He is warning. I don't know when that door closes, but it will close. And that door that I'm talking about is the understanding of what He wants in relationship. Right? He said all of hell will be unleashed. But it will be for the purpose of knowing who His remnant is. For the purpose of knowing who by faith will seek greater faith. For His Righteousness. By the way, it is not about recognizing how perfect God is. That's not what seeking His righteousness is. Seeking His righteousness is by application how that applies to you. He said we're to be like Him. Right? We're to mimic Jesus, His Son. His Son, the reason He became a man is to plow a way for us to follow. That's why He didn't do anything as God when He was here. He could have. Satan even tempted Him to do it. He said, you could call on a thousand angels. And they'll just carry you down softly. But Jesus knew Everything He was to do on this earth had to be done by faith. Why? Because somehow He would fail? No. Because if He didn't, you and I would fail. See, Jesus did it for us. He walked this life as a man only filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to show us how to do that. By faith, for faith. When you walk in the righteousness of God, it is because you are building relationship with Him and letting Him purge out inside of you all the things that keep you from that unrighteousness or keep you from the righteousness. 
It's like David cried out, show me anything and everything that keeps me from You. Show me any sin that I don't recognize. Because that little seed, it could be disbelief. There's a big one for you that we don't recognize. Because see, on this earth we think, okay, well, sin. Well, it's all the things that we can notice, right? You know, uh, it, it, it's maybe, okay, I shouldn't have eaten that and I ate it. That's sin. Or maybe I shouldn't have gone and watched that movie. That's sin. Okay. First of all, there are things that he'll make obvious in your life. You know, if you're, if you're watching porn, let me give you a hint. That's an obvious one. There are things in his word that are black and white. But that's not what David was crying out about. He was crying out about things he didn't know, he didn't see. He said, take me to a new level where I recognize what hurts you. Because I desire your righteousness. Why? So I can be puffed up and feel good about myself? No. So I can be close to you. Close to my God. And see, when, when the bride gets that, and as the remnant does get that, it brings a unity and a power that Satan, he doesn't know what to do with. And by the way, he has seen it. Satan knows what's coming. He knows what happens when the bride becomes unified. He knows and he shudders. He also knows because it's a sign of his time coming to an end. Why does it have to seem overwhelming that this earth, that God desires this earth to be run by his bride, literally run by his son through his bride? Why is that overwhelming? Why is it overwhelming to think that this nation is His? That this nation will be run according to God's plan and it never has been before. Not even from the very beginning. Why is it so hard to believe that it will? I mean, maybe because things are now opposite. There was hope. Oh my goodness, there was so much hope when... When God put this wrecking ball in the Oval Office and He came in and He wasn't bought off and He wasn't corrupt and, and He wasn't taking everything in for Himself, from the Christian perspective, there was hope. For the first time that I remember in my lifetime, there being real hope to defeat abortion. Real hope. Now what in the heck happened to that? See, God's trying to show you that that hope is not in a man. That hope is not in Donald Trump. And that's nothing against him because it never should have been in him in the first place. 
That's why he's not gone. That's why this election had fraud and God allowed it. Everything that was said to the prophets is true. Even if some of those are going back on it. Makes me sad, but it is true. But see, Donald Trump isn't the answer. Even in his heart, he knows that. Because one man can't do it. One woman can't do it. It's the unification of the bride. But God is going to do it. You watch what He does. We are entering into and have been in this time of warfare where all of hell is going to be unleashed. Why do you think? So hell can be defeated. Look at it as an opportunity. Don't look at it with fear. Don't look at it with, oh man, how am I going to deal with this? Or now I'm going to have to deal with that and it's going to be hard. And Oh man, slap yourself upside the head if you start thinking that way. Start thinking, now it's an opportunity. See, but that's what God's been doing for the last several months. Think about it. If God would have pushed things forward even a few months ago, we would not have known in many cases whose side somebody is on. (laughs) I love it. But now God reveals the hearts of people. And forgive me, Republicans, He is revealing the heart of, Of Republicans. See, Democratic parties have their heart out there all the time anyways. In terms of what opposes God. But see, God had to root out what is in the Republican party. I have have a word for you. He had told me a few years ago he is dismantling the Democratic party. I got news for you. He's dismantling the Republican Party too. There will be no Democrat Party. There will be no Republican Party. I don't know what they'll call it, but it's going to be a Jesus Party. That's just the truth. And, And do you know that there won't be an opposing party because they won't be able to? Because they're either going to see the truth whether they're a part of it or not. But they're going to see the truth. They're going to see the power of God in His bride. And they're going to step aside. There is coming a showdown in this, just like Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. It's coming. Instead of Elijah being the only one, it's going to be a unified bride, a unified remnant that Satan just can't do anything against. He can't. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what's coming. Don't be afraid of what's already started. And for those listening online, 
unification is not just physical. Unification is in the Spirit. Because it's all centered around Jesus Christ and our relationship with the Father through Him. All over the world, the Lord is building up remnant. I hear from people all over. Be unified in the Spirit. When there's opportunity to be unified for those around you physically, be unified. Don't be afraid if it's a small group. Because Satan... He has no power against a unified bride. He just doesn't. Unify around him. Build relationship with him. Do not walk in fear. Listen to what the Lord says to do and do it. When he tells you to slow down, slow down. When he tells you to speed up, speed up. When he says move and don't look to the left or to the right, then do exactly what he says. Because he will somehow, and I I don't even know how, I have no clue how at this point, but he will unite us. He will unite us all over the world. I long for that moment because it is coming. This is not years away. This is not months away. It is upon our doorstep. Lex, come on up. When he was talking about David and Goliath, I was thinking we're kind of, it feels like we're kind of in the stage of the 40 days when Goliath came out morning and evening and just just blasphemed and defied God. And there was, um, there was such fear struck into the Israelite army because of what was being spoken over them, the threats, the lies, the intimidation tactic. And we're seeing a lot of that in the, in the um, media around us. We're seeing a lot of false things, a lot of... A lot of threats were, um, there is a clear agenda to, um, to lock down everyone in the fear of what they're going to do, even just by what they're talking about. And so now is really the time. This is, um, I know the better example of the showdown is Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And if you don't think prophet, uh, that the demon god Baal and Moloch are alive and well and being worshipped, then then you just don't know. They really are. But this opportunity to stand as a David and stand against these lies, these threats, because um, the enemy does want to um, cause people to come up with an alternative plan. I mean, that's what the Israelite army was doing. They were all scurrying when David was going back and forth to feed his brothers, you know, for that time before he himself stepped up and God just, his spirit rose up in him and he just was like, you will not defy my God. He had been trained in that. And the Lord is waiting for that, that rise in voices. And sadly, it is, um, seems 
to in a widespread area seems to be non-existent. And that is really why the shaking must come. Um, I don't have the author of this, but I, I, the Lord just impressed on my heart to read you this. Um, they call it a poem, but it's not really a rhyme. But I think it just speaks so clearly of the state of the bride in general. So I'm just going to read this to you. That it's, it's a poem of the Lord's words to, to his children. You call me eternal, then do not seek me. You call me fair, then do not love me. You call me gracious, then do not trust me. You call me just, then do not fear me. You call me life, then do not choose me. You call me light, then do not see me. You call me Lord, then do not respect me. You call me master, then do not obey me. You call me merciful, then do not thank me. You call me mighty, then do not honor me. You call me noble, then do not serve me. You call me rich, then do not ask me. You call me savior, then do not praise me. You call me shepherd, then do not follow me. You call me the way, then do not walk with me. You call me wise, then do not heed me. You call me the Son of God, then do not worship me. So when I bring judgment, do not blame me. That is where we are. The Lord has extended his hand and extended his hand and He wants reciprocation. He wants us to take it. And he has promised, even in the word that Greg gave uh, today, that the Lord gave uh, yesterday, he will give us all we need. He always provides. He is always with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He goes before us. But we do have to engage. It will cost us everything. But as we sang earlier in worship, doesn't it all belong to him? We, we just sang, it all belongs to you, it all belongs to you. And um, so the cost shouldn't really be that great. That's why I love the, the little, it's a worship song, but it wasn't called a worship song when I was growing up, but turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full, full, totally in his wonderful face. And then the things of this earth are going to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I love that. I find myself singing that all the time. And Carrie Job ended uh, one of her songs recently, uh, No Fear, uh, to it. And uh, I, I think it really speaks to what God wants. So I'm going to close this in prayer. And um, thank you so much for that word. It was interesting, again, how the Lord used much of, of what we went over in the ladies' class with this message as well. But, Father, we love you, God. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, for the warnings. Thank you, God, that as you say in Isaiah, you, you will tell us what is going to happen before it happens. But as Jesus said to the disciples, be careful how you hear. Because if you hear with open ears, with a receptive heart, then more will be given. But if you will not hear, 
then even what you have will be taken from you. And God, there is such a blindness on the bride today that God, I pray an awakening of them. I pray the awakening of your children that they would choose that radical is normal so that they are not spit out of your mouth. God, we know that no man can pluck you out of pluck us out of your hand. So it isn't about the loss of salvation. Oh, but God, it is the loss of so much of the hope of their calling in their destiny, just like the first group of the children of Israel didn't enter the promised land because of their unbelief, their murmuring, their complaining, their their unwillingness to shed the mindset of slavery. God, I pray today that each one of us, everyone listening to my voice and the bride at large, that they would heed your voice, heed the warnings of your Holy Spirit, that even in the shaking, even with the obvious destruction and and continual um, theft of our Christian liberties, with the, the hindrances to our freedom in these lockdowns and limitations and just oppressive atmospheres, God, that even with all of this, you are, you are giving them just sign after sign to look to you. And some will still not open their eyes. So God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, that you would do what it takes to open eyes. Because in your love, you desire closeness with us. But God, I praise you this morning that you are also a holy God. And you deserve a pure bride. You deserve a true and faithful bride that is not an adulterous generation like you, like you said so often with the children of Israel. God, we do not want to cheat on you with other idols, other things of this life. And oh, by comparison, there's just, there's just no comparison to what you give. You are all-sufficient God of the universe, the Lord, our healer, our banner, our shield, our defender, our restorer, our redeemer, our help, our hope, our comfort, our love. God, thank you. You are everything. We praise you, and I pray that you'd wake up the bride. I just can't wait to see you, Jesus, face to face. Thank you. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for limiting, limiting yourself as God, of which you never lost your place in the Godhead, and yet you limited yourself by your will to show us what it would look like to follow the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for what you showed us is possible by faith when we just trust you. Thank you for this word this morning. Thank you for what you release to us. God, take us from this place today with fullness, the fullness of your love of who you are, that we would just... Um, just be more than even refreshed, but just filled to overflowing. Let that spill out into everyone we interact with today. God, that we would just 
be vessels through which you can move to bring light to this dark world. I just thank you for it. We give you praise in Jesus' precious and holy name.